Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today it is just me and only me. Normally on the podcast, we have guests and different people come in. We talk about different topics, but today it is me. There's been other podcasts with just me, so here we go. The reason it's just me is because today we're talking about goal planning, goal planning for you professionally. So for me, the way I think about goals and the way it sort of makes sense to me and how I organize it in my brain and life is to equate it to a therapy situation because I really can't turn that therapist side of me off. And so because one of my main jobs as a therapist is to develop goal plans and plans of care and treatment plans, and I sort of talk in that language all day long and talk to people about that type of stuff all day long and families, then I really, for me professionally and personally, I can't turn that way of thinking off. So I'm kind of framing this whole podcast around developing a plan of care for yourself. I mean, you could call it that, but it's basically goal planning for yourself professionally for the year. So that's what we're talking about. And that kind of mindset, getting us started, then first off, you got to ask your question, what's the difference in goals and resolutions? You know, we all create New Year's resolutions. I'm going to run a marathon. I have never created that resolution for myself, quite frankly, but there are people out there that do. Anyway, goals are different than resolutions. So for goals, they create plans, thought process. In my mind, goals are things that are helping you to move forward professionally and personally, but for your life, your progression, your development, your moving forward, advancing, improving. To me, those are goals. And if you think about that with a child and a plan of care that a therapist is writing, that's the whole purpose of writing a plan of care. This person's coming to see you and they're at this point and they can do these skills, but they're missing some skills or they've got areas of weakness. And so you're writing goals and a plan of care to help them develop and advance. And to write that plan of care, there's planning, there's organizing, there's thought, they're intentional. So there's a whole body of work that goes into creating this plan of care. And it's not done just, oh, this sounds good. Sometimes resolutions are done without as much thought and without as much intentional effort. And so they're kind of just like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to run a marathon and I'm going to exercise seven days a week or I'm going to, you know, just stop smoking, but without a plan, you know. So resolutions are without that plan, without that intentionality. And goals are contrast in that they have a purpose and a plan and there's some thought, but there's also an expectation and responsibility on various people's responsibility for improvement and advancement. And I think that responsibility piece is also really important to think about when you're developing goals for yourself personally and professionally. I also want to frame this podcast today, now that we've started talking about goals, you know, what are they and how they're different, their New Year's resolutions. I want to think too a little bit about at PDT, we do pediatric developmental therapy. Um, At PDT, I've shortened it up. If you say pediatric developmental therapy enough, it's a tongue twister. So I shortened to PDT. But here we do performance development plans for all of our employees twice a year. And 
in that process, we are developing goals for that employee. And the purpose of that is to help them grow professionally as a therapist, but as really as overall as a professional. You know, we say here all the time, grow more, do more, be more. It's our tagline, but we mean that for our little kiddos and families that come here, but also for our therapists that are here. There's an expectation that we will all grow more, do more, be more. And part of that process is that professional development plan that we do with everybody twice a year. So in that process, one of my expectations when I conduct those, and I review everybody's that are here every year, is that they will come in with goals for themselves, professionally, you know, goals. And so when a family comes to see me, there's an expectation that I'm going to write a goal plan. And when I'm working with other professionals, there's an expectation that they're going to come in with a goal plan for themselves. There's also an expectation from them that I'm going to have some ideas about goals for them professionally. So there's responsibility and accountability on both parties, whether you're talking about therapy, myself and the family, they expected me to write a goal plan, but I'm expecting them to also have a part in that goal plan and follow through. And then the professional I'm working with, there's an expectation they'll come to me with some ideas for goals. And then there's an expectation from them that I've gotten some ideas for goals. And we may develop those goals together during the PDP, but both parties need to come there with something. And then for me personally, for my goal plan and development, you know, I am writing goals for myself, even though nobody here is doing necessarily my performance development plan, but there's goals for myself that I have to write some goals professionally. And then I have a mentor and accountability partners that I check in with. And, you know, I'm expecting them to hold me accountable to that stuff as well. So more about accountability partners and mentors in a minute. But first, why do we write goals? You know, they're couple of things. Goals one are um, problem solving. So you've identified problems that you'd like to work on and things that you would like to do professionally. And so you're solving a problem. That's one reason why you write goals. Just personal improvement. I think we all have a responsibility professionally to remain teachable and to continue to improve and better ourselves and to grow you know, continuous learning is one of our core competencies and just improvement. And so if you, again, we follow that parallel of a writing a plan of care for a therapist, for a patient, you know, we're solving a problem. This child's come to us and they can't do some skills. We're solving a problem. And also the expectation is that they will improve. Well, that's kind of the same for us professionally. Why else do we write goals? You really have to I think in the process of writing goals for yourself professionally, it causes us to be honest with ourselves. In the book, Jim Collins, Good to Great, he talks about picking up the rocks and looking at all the worms. Well, you can do that anywhere, and you can do that personally. And so you really have to pick up the rocks and look at the worms for yourself. You know, what is it that you're really good at? And what is it that you're really not so good at? And so when you really take an honest look and start with honesty and internal reflection, then I think you really can write a very good good goal plan for yourself, but you have to really be honest. And I think in that honesty, it's also keeps you humble and it's what I call keeps you real. That honest look at yourself, it gives you an opportunity to say, not to be too hard on yourself and say, well, you know, I am good at some stuff, but then also to look at it and say, you know, yeah, I might be good at this stuff, but I really need to improve in this area. So there's a lot of things that happen. So again, I'm going to parallel it with writing a plan of care for a patient. You know, really, that's what you're doing when you're evaluating that patient. They're coming in and you're trying to figure out, you're getting a good birth history from the parents. You're trying to find out the background. You're doing an assessment. So either you're doing a clinical assessment or you're doing a standardized assessment. You're doing something, though. Some type of assessment is happening because you've got to figure out what really sort of makes this little person tick, what makes this individual work, you know, and, and so you've got what can they do and what are they able to do? And then do they need you as a therapist? And if you decided that they do need you as a therapist, areas of weakness, then you've got to figure out what those areas of weakness are. And you need to really identify the main issues. 
so that you can work on the main problems. I go into every evaluation first as an observer, and I'm asking a good medical history, but I'm also observing the child, observing the family, a good, good observation. It's an active observation. I'm just not sitting in the corner like, here, do y'all sing, and I'll just sit over here. That's a very active observation. I'm in there, but I'm watching the child, how they play, how they try to communicate, how the interaction is with the parents and the child. You know, I'm watching the parents and seeing where their anxiety is in terms of surrounding that area of why they're here with me. I'm watching how the child interacts with toys, how they interact with me. I'm an observer. I'm active because I'm doing stuff the whole time, but I'm observing. That's a big part of it. And I think that's kind of picking up the rocks and look at the worms for yourself professionally. If you take an internal look at what's kind of going on with you personally and professionally for yourself, you're really observing and assessing. And I think you need to call it what it is. And for me, it's just easiest to parallel it with a plan of care for a patient because that's what I do all day. So for me, I observe and assess. And I start there always with every evaluation. It gives me a better picture of the child. And so when I look at myself professionally, I observe and assess. And to me, it looks different, of course, when I'm doing that for myself, because the observation process is a self-reflection. Okay, Hayden, where were you successful? And then where can you improve? And I usually try to have very concrete examples that I've observed during the course of the year, whether that's feedback from others, or whether that's an internal assessment of how I did in different activities, or the product I put out for different situations, and how things worked out for the year. That observation process happens, you know, throughout the year. And then, but I do spend some time just observing and assessing professionally. But that's where I start with evaluations for kids, and that's where I start for myself for goal planning and professional development for myself. The other important thing I think to mention at this point also is my goal whenever I'm writing a plan of care for a child and a patient is a good assessment, a good assessment. So that when I leave that assessment, I feel like, yes, I've identified, a good assessment for me is I've identified the three main areas of weakness. And the three main things that this child needs to work on so that they can make the most amount of progress that'll best, where my influence will best, I guess, touch and improve their life, you know? So for example, I might do a standardized assessment and they may show lots of areas of weakness. Like I want to talk sort of in speech and language language now because that's what I do all day. And so for the PTs and OTs out there listening, you translate it to PT and OT language and goals. So there you go. So for myself, they might show that I do a standardized assessment and maybe they can't identify their pronouns or use pronouns. Maybe they can't use verb plus an ing. Maybe they can't use plurals, but they also can't say this particular child's three years old. They can't use two words in a sentence. They're not consistently using single words even. Maybe they're not even following one-step directions without a gesture cue. Well, you know, they need to work on pronouns. They need to work on plurals. They need to work on verbs with ing, but that's not the main areas of concern. Those are areas of concern, and we'll get there. But the main area of concern is this child can't communicate, and they're also not comprehending to follow basic life instructions. So they're also not building their vocabulary. Well, I got to target that first. That's A number one, big, huge priority. So they might have those other areas of weakness, but my main focus is on helping this child communicate and understand. That's number one. There we go. So I'm going to leave that assessment with goals that are written around those main areas of concern. You know, so for myself professionally, when I look and when I observe and when I assess 
internally, I think, okay, Hayden, I might come up with 10 things I want to do. But of those 10 things, what are the priorities? And then what areas do I most need to work on to sort of get the most bang for my buck professionally and personally, where I think the biggest areas maybe for improvement or the biggest areas to overall improve my quality of life and improve me overall as a professional and in turn help other people's quality of life because I lead other people or the organization in general. So I always leave an assessment with a child with the main things I want to work on. And usually I try to limit those to three. I'm not saying I would only write three goals. I don't ever write more than five goals, though, because that's just too much. But I always have three main areas that I look for. Sometimes it's maybe just one or two areas of big concern, but no more than three main areas of concern. And so I'm just saying that because I think it'll help you write a better plan of care because it really helps me focus um, on what the big issue is at hand. And then also keeps the why I'm there sort of first and prominent in my mind. Like I'm here because my role is to take whatever areas of weakness or problems that this child and family have got and I help make them better so that this child can go and live their own life. That's my why. That's why I'm a therapist. So if I go ahead and structure my assessment and the start, the plan of care from that, then it keeps me focused throughout the whole plan, no matter how many plans of care you write for however long you see this child. It keeps you focused in the right direction. So that's the same thing for yourself. You know, you really want to grow as a professional and grow as a person. So focus your energy and effort on a few areas versus 10 different things, you know, really sort of hone in on a few. And then as the year goes on, hey, if you're breaking bad and taking names and you're like, yeah, it's May and I think I've met all my goals, write more. I mean, you know, it's a continual self-improvement and then continual self-assessment, continual, because as a therapist, aren't we assessing every single session? I never go into a session that I don't assess something. You know, I've got these goals. I'm like, okay, well, they did pretty good on this goal today. Uh, This goal, you know, I need to probably add this intervention and help them better with this goal. And um, so I'm assessing myself and how I did, and I'm assessing them and how they're doing towards the goals every single session. And even though it's called therapy, you know, and so uh, I'm doing that for myself also. If I have a particular goal for myself professionally for planning and organizing, for example, because that's how I feel like is a weaker area of mine that I going to work on this year. So in the areas of planning and organizing, as I'm working on tasks in that general area that require more of that type of skill, I'm assessing myself and I'll do that all year. So when I'm writing a plan of care for a child and then I'm also developing goals for myself, I'm constantly reminding myself or I'm really doing it because of why, of our why. So at PDT, our why we define as why are we therapists? We're therapists because our purpose and what we love and like to do is we like to help our little children that we see in therapy achieve and get better with whatever weak area they've got so that they can go and live their life. That's our why. That's why I'm a therapist. So personally and professionally, the goals that I'm writing for myself all come out of the why. You know, I want to grow as a therapist. I want to grow professionally. So my personal mission statement or your why, why you're trying to get better and improve professionally, that's you're writing goals from that place. They stem from that place. So you just remind yourself of that kind of, you know, why are you writing these goals? So if you remember the why, why are you a therapist? Why are you writing these goals professionally for yourself? All of them are to improve the situation to help this child achieve what they can achieve in whatever weak areas they've got so they can live their life and for you professionally for you to improve and grow as a professional if you remember the why it keeps you focused and just gives you a framework so you can stay on task and stay focused with those goals for the year so now we better understand why we write these goals and then we need to talk about how to basically approach goal writing 
So when I'm assessing a child, I always start with the positive and I look to see what they currently can do. And I start there. What are they able to do? And it doesn't really matter what they're able to do in terms of where I start. That doesn't you know, matter to me if they can do very little or if they can do a lot. That's not the point. Just where's the positive? What are they currently good at? And if I start there with what they're good at and then focus on the positive and what they can do, then I usually have more success. It also helps me achieve better trust with the child and the family because no parent likes you to come in and say, here's all the stuff your child can't do because every parent thinks their child is perfect and, you know, and they are and fantastic. So I'm not saying not, I'm not honest with the family and saying, okay, here's what your child needs to work on and here's the areas of growth and here's what we can do together. I just always start with the positive. Here's what the child currently can do. Here's what I want to work on. Here's where we can grow. But then I start with what they currently can do so the child can get some success, so they can trust me, so it's fun, so it's positive for them. And so for me personally, if I'm constantly looking at all the stuff I can't do and everything I'm bad at, and that's a big old long list, I mean, I can write a novel on that whole thing, then I'm not going to really stick with it if I'm constantly beating myself up, you know, because I get that enough from life. Like I say it all the time here at PDT, the why, why we do what we do is beat out of people all day long with all the collateral junk that doesn't really matter. You know, for example, there's a scheduling issue, you know, and I mean, the scheduling issues matter, but sometimes we just get caught up in the minutia of the daily grind. And so you forget about the why. So I say all the time, the why gets beat out of you all day long. So if I'm constantly focused on the negative and what I can't do, what I can't do, what I can't do, it's very hard to remind myself of the why and why I'm trying to grow professionally. And so I have to, again, bring it back to what I can do, what I'm positive, what I'm good at. And so I always start with a child. What are we good at? What are we good at? And so and sometimes even in very difficult sessions, you know, this child may be overall making great progress, but we may just have a bad session, kind of like a bad day. I'm having a bad day. This child may be having a bad session for whatever reason. And sometimes you have to like really, you know, pare back your goals or really kind of go backwards almost to get to that positive place where they'll be successful in that one session and then the next session, you know, push them a little harder. So sometimes for myself, I have to, uh, if I'm, you know, overall doing pretty well with my goals and improving in various areas, but maybe I'm having like a bad day or a bad week, sometimes I have to cut myself a little slack and sort of go backwards and like, Hayden, okay, well, let's reassess this again. Where are you? Where are you doing okay? And even in this like weaker area, where are you doing well? And then let's focus on that. And then all right, tomorrow's a new day and we're going to keep on keeping on. So I say this other phrase all the time at PDT, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's a marathon. You're going to, you're here for the long haul. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we all are. I'm in it for the long haul. So like in a therapy plan, I've committed to this child and this family. I'm consistent. You, I'm reliable. You can count on me. I am here for the long haul. This therapy situation is a marathon, not a sprint. So for me professionally, I've picked a career, not a job for this point in my life. I've picked a career. And so I'm here for the long haul. So I'm looking at my career in the long term. You know, I'm looking at it in a six month time frame. I'm looking at a year time frame. I'm looking at a a three year plan, a five year plan, a 10 year plan, and so on down the line. So it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So get on your running shoes and start your deep breathing or whatever you do when I don't run marathons, but whatever, you know, you're breathing or whatever it is and get ready because it's a long haul. But again, start with the positive. What are you good at? What are you good at? You know, and again, pick up the rocks and look at the worms like Jim Collins says and assess what are you good at and start from there and then take a real honest look at areas for improvement. So how do you do that? 
with a child, when you're doing right a plan of care, you start with assessments and you give them standardized tests and you do your clinical assessment. So for you personally, there's lots of assessments that you can do. Here at PDT, we do the Strength Finders assessment. We do a Myers-Briggs assessment. We do the Thomas Killian assessment. Those are the three biggies we give everybody. And so we start from there and we find out, well, where is this person's strengths and where are their strength areas? It kind of helps us understand how this individual is wired and it helps this individual understand a little bit about how they're wired. Kind of gives some concreteness to that whole, what makes me tick? Why do I like what I like? And why am I good in these particular areas? And that's the whole Strength Finders. And Strength Finders talks about it. You can look up Strength Finders. You can Google it. And they've got books, all kinds of stuff with it. So they talk about your strengths and what you're good at. So I would start with goal writing. Start with an assessment. And just like we give a child a standardized assessment, give yourself a standardized assessment. And either choose the Myers-Briggs or the Strength Finders or the Thomas Killian or there's tons out there. But those three I'm especially familiar with. And then once you've given yourself that assessment, and I would strongly recommend that because it gives you great, valuable information about yourself, then use the test results and understand the test. So for example, for the Myers-Briggs, there's tons of information out there around the Myers-Briggs and how to use it and what the personality types mean and then what personality type, what the, the individual is, strength areas for them and the areas where they may struggle a little bit. So use your personality results and apply them to your professional personal life. A lot of times, for example, I see mistakes being made here where an individual will take the personality test here at PDT and then they don't reflect on them or use them again until maybe their supervisor brings them up at their performance development plan time. And I think that's a big mistake because it's a huge resource for you and you need to use them. It really helps you understand how you tick. And in an assessment with a child, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out what makes this child tick. That's my big issue. You know, sometimes we say, oh, we're developing rapport with a child, but it's more than that. I'm really trying to understand what makes a child tick, how they're wired, how they sort of approach the world, why they are how they are. And that's sort of an evolving process through therapy. But for yourself personally, you need to understand why you're good at certain areas and why you do what you do and how you tick. So I think those personality tests really help sort of frame that, give some concreteness to that, define it for people, you know, define it for yourself, and then use the test results. Really use them because they help. So when you start from your goals right on the positive side, then if you're using your assessment, the assessment helps frame why you're good at what you're good at, why you have strengths in certain areas. So then you can get better at your positives. And so you can focus really on, I'm really good at these things, but even in these areas, there's room for improvement. And so here's how I can improve. And so you can write goals around that. And then you can also assess, here's an area of weakness for me in general, but here's my positives and my strengths. So how can I use my positives and strengths and how can I use sort of how I'm wired naturally and how I'm sort of inclined naturally to work and look at the world to work on this negative, this thing I'm not quite so good at. You know, that's not where my strengths lie. So I think if you sort of frame it that way for yourself too, then you'll be more successful long term and you'll want to stick with it because, you know, you're kind of working in what you're naturally inclined to do anyway. That helps me stay on track and stay focused. And it really again, parallels exactly what I'm trying to do for that child. I'm going to work in areas where I know they're going to be successful. Even if I'm working in weaker areas, I'm working to their positives, to their strengths, and you want to work to your positives, to your strengths. 
So that's my thought on that whole personal assessment. And then you get to your actual goal writing. So I think the thing you want to focus with goal writing is just like when you're writing specific goals for a child. We use at PDT SMART goals, and we use the acronym, the S-M-A-R-T, but each letter, the S stands for specific, the M stands for measurable, the A for attainable, the R for realistic, and the T for timely. And there's tons of information out there on the internet about SMART goals. This is not a new concept. A class I went to this past year about you know, good paperwork and good medical documentation, that's one of the things I try to stay up on since we have a you know electronic medical records and and always coaching people around that but smart goals are all embedded in all that paperwork and all that information and good classes talk about smart goals so this is not a new concept PDT did not come up with smart goals but we certainly use it and it's great and it sort of helps write good concrete focused achievable goals. So start with SMART goals. And we use these in our PDPs with people. We make goals specific and measurable, things that the person can actually attain and achieve, realistic and timely. So for a brand new speech therapist who's just graduated and been working for six months, I'm not going to write some goals that I would, the same type of goal that I would maybe write for somebody with 10 years experience. That's just not realistic. They're not there yet. They're not going to be successful. And I don't like for them to write those types of goals for themselves either. Now, I like for people to be stretched. I mean, our taglines grow more, do more, be more. So I like to stretch and grow. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying not be challenged. But it's just not realistic to think that someone who's just graduated six months ago can really achieve in therapy what somebody who graduated 10 years ago can achieve. They're just not there yet. They need some more time. But also timely. Timely is very important. That keeps you accountable. That keeps you focused. And there's a start and a stop time. And so so you know if you got there or not. You know, if you never make the goals so they have a time limit or by this date I'll do this or I'll achieve this or I'll be able to whatever it is you're going to do. But make it so it's a, a time goal so that you're not going to – it's just forever and ever and then you'll then you'll never get there. It really keeps people accountable. I use the same kind of concept. This is a new thing that I've just learned in the past four years how important the time thing is because even in just our regular weekly meetings that I have with people or and then I give myself personal time goals. But whenever I'm in weekly meetings, I always – we put a time on everything. So this is due at this time and this is due at this date and you're going to get back to me by this point or I'm going to get back to you by this point or this will be achieved – uh, this date. So my personal coach that I work with is the one who taught me this, and she has made a huge difference in my productivity and me getting back to people and also me being perceived as consistent and reliable. I thought I was consistent and reliable, but when you don't give things time limits, you don't come off as consistent and reliable. So there's been a lot of personal growth for me, for example, in that one area. But all goals should be timed. So don't let yourself off the hook. Keep yourself accountable and keep yourself responsible that goals are timed and specific really specific. You really want to, this one I can see we've, as a company, over just the past course of the year and doing the two sets of PDPs that we did, uh, specific was uh, something that we really worked hard on with an individual. And so a lot of times when an individual is coming to me, maybe sometimes they come with broad goals and then sometimes they come with really narrow, like, like extra specific goals. And so sometimes there's a fine line in there. You want to be broad enough that you've got some room to so I call it wiggle room, but you don't want to be so broad that the goal doesn't mean anything. You know, for example, I'll equate it back to a child, and I'm again, of course, I was talking the speech and language world language because it's kind of what I do. You know, a child will communicate. Well, okay, but like, what does that mean exactly? Like, how are they going to communicate? So I need to have a goal specific enough that you know the child will communicate using 
gestures or vocalizations. You know, if they're not doing anything but screaming to communicate right now, then the chances of me in the next like two months getting them to use a two to three word phrase, probably not going to happen. But I can help make them so that they're communicating more specifically and more mm, socially appropriate than just screaming and tantruming. I can use gestures or vocalizations and we're working towards words. You see what I'm saying? So if somebody comes to me with a professional goal of, I would like to be a better communicator, for example. So what does that mean? Because that's very broad. I'd like to be a better communicator. So does that mean face-to-face communication? Do you want to be more timely with your communication? Do you want to be more specific when you're communicating with people? Do you want to do better with your email? Do you want to do better in daily note writing? There's a lot of non-specifics in that goal, even though they've named communication specifically. So that's what I'm talking about. And I want to communicate better. That's not measurable. And you're going to have a hard time putting a time on that because it's not specific enough. You can't put a time on it. So if it's a timed goal, then it's going to force you to be specific. It's also going to force you to be measurable and realistic and attainable. So there you have it. So that time thing is huge. Don't forget the last letter, SMART goals. And really in goal writing for your patients, then SMART goals It's just as applicable. That's how I work on with everybody on writing goals. They've got to be smart goals. They've got to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely. It just makes you a better goal writer. It'll help you so much professionally and personally. The last big point I want to make with goal writing is this. It's important to be responsible for the goals that you've written for yourself, professionally and personally. Just like as a treating therapist for a child when you're creating a plan of care, that you're responsible for that goal plan that you've created and that treatment plan that you've made. You have a responsibility in helping that child to get better. So you're writing this plan of care. You're educating the parents. You're creating home programs for them to follow in the home. But you have a responsibility, just like the parent does. And the parent should be keeping you accountable and responsible, holding you accountable, basically, for creating the plan that this child is going to follow. And then, again, you're holding the parent responsible and accountable for doing the exercises at home and working with the child at home. So... There's an accountability partner almost, though we don't really think of it that way when you're writing a plan of care with a child. But really, you have an accountability partner, and it's the child and the family. So when you're writing personal and professional goals, you need an accountability partner, and that can look very different for lots of people. So for us here at PDT, when we write up people's professional development plan, the accountability partner is the team lead because they're the ones who are doing the professional development plan. It could also be, though, team members that they work with. It doesn't have to only just be the team lead. A lot of times it is, but it doesn't have to be. So it can be other OTs or other PTs or other speech therapists or just other people you're working with can be an accountability partner. And a lot of times it's that supervisor, but it doesn't always have to be. Sometimes accountability partners can be a group of people. For myself, when I work with the team leads here at PDT all the time, and I see them as accountability partners, they hold me responsible and accountable for that I say I'm going to do. Part of my goals professionally for the year involve and include them because I work so closely with them. Another person that I work with is an executive coach, and she holds me accountable because I develop personal and professional goals, and I send them to her, and she helps me tweak them. And so she actually also holds me accountable for those goals. And so I think having somebody like that, if you're leading an organization or you're a leader of a group, or if you're not leading a group, if you're a team member in a group, I think um, you need to have accountability partners, whether you have a supervisor that could be that, 
or whether you have other people you work with that can do that, or you just have other people outside of work. But the big issue, even if it's somebody outside of work or somebody in work, they have to be very honest with you. So whoever you pick to be your accountability partner or your mentor or coach or whoever it is, you have to be able to trust that they're honest with you and that they're going to hold you accountable, but they're going to give you honest feedback. I mean, sometimes the best feedback I've ever gotten are things I didn't really want to hear. You know, and I might not have liked it at that very moment, but I got over it. And in the long run, it really helped me much more than always hearing, oh, that's a great idea. That's great. Or that doesn't always help me the most because I need to know what was good and I need to know what was bad so I can tweak it, you know. So I think whoever it is got to be honest with you and you've got to be able to trust them. So that's my general take on goal writing and professional development. And so I hope this has been helpful information. You know, in my world, I write goals every day, all day for a living, write plans of care. And so I think for a therapist, it's not that hard to transfer that over to you personally and professionally and kind of think about where you want to go and what you want to do. That's kind of what you do all day. So you're already good at it. So just do it for yourself. And I also want to take an opportunity to say as we start our new year, thanks so much for listening to our podcast and being a part of this program that we do here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy. And I appreciate your time. So I look forward to growing more and continuing on with all of you all out there in the new year. And remember with the goal plan for yourself, you know, you tweak plans of care and stuff every day, all day. So, hey, as you're writing goals for yourself, you can tweak them as the year goes on and and improve them. So remember that as well. So I'm excited about the new year and the programming that we've got scheduled in this podcast and then some other things that we have in the works here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy. Check on our website, www.pediatricdt.com, for new things we're going to do and try, and then stay tuned to this podcast. We've got a lot of cool and exciting things coming up, so I'm excited. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and I'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 